Good afternoon and welcome to the first virtual Guernsey Funds Forum. My name is James Fuller and I'm the Communications Manager at Guernsey Finance. Today I'll be moderating a virtual fireside chat with two Guernsey residents who have a hugely broad experience in investment funds. Guernsey's been a leading jurisdiction for investment funds for many years now, specialising in private equity and alternatives. You may have seen us in London doing this event in person over the past 10 years. Now, for understandable reasons, we can't be in the city this year, so instead, we've come to you. We intend that today we'll still give you some good insights into current thinking in what is certainly a unique environment. Today, we'll first hear from our headline co-sponsors of this virtual and the physical event, that's the law firms Kerry Olson and Osher, and then we'll move into our fireside chat with John Moulton and Andreas Toucher. This discussion has been pre-recorded, and so we won't be answering any of your questions today, but if you have any, please do use the technology on this platform to ask questions of our panellists, and we will answer as many as we can over the next few days. If you have a look around the webinar platform today, you'll also find marketing resources and thought leadership from some of our sponsor partners available to download. And you'll also find a link to the sponsors page on the event website. Please also do complete the survey that we have on screen. It's important for us to get your feedback as I expect we'll be doing a fair few more of these events for the rest of the year. But first of all, I'd like to introduce our sponsor videos. You'll be hearing later from Craig Cordell, partner at Osher, and first to speak today is Christopher Anderson, partner at Carey Olson. Hello, I'm Chris Anderson, a partner of Carey Olson in Guernsey. As a sponsor of the event, I thought I would say a few words about what we've been seeing in the fund environment in Guernsey in the midst of the pandemic. Recently, I was asked to participate in a survey concerning insolvency and restructuring, which of course may become an issue in the near future. And one of the questions I was asked was how many directors who are on the boards of Guernsey funds and managers today were also on those boards in 2008? An interesting question, I thought, the implication clearly being that experience of the 2008 crisis may well be relevant in the pandemic. It's very early, day, early days at this stage, but in some ways there are indicators that this crisis is similar to the 2008 crisis. Distressed debt, for example, is again a feature, and we have seen some clients establishing bespoke vehicles to invest in those distressed debt opportunities. Sidecars are also being discussed, and being used potentially to isolate so-called tainted assets purchased prior to the pandemic, whose price may differ markedly from assets purchased after the pandemic. We've also seen significant refinancing work, sometimes to shore up balance sheets, and there has been a sense that that finance should be taken while it's still on the table. In addition, we've also seen refinancing for speculative purposes. And indeed, we have already seen some fund promoters looking to establish new opportunistic funds to take advantage of the current environment. Going back to the initial question in the survey, the answer was around 75% of those directors on funds and managers today were also on similar boards in 2008. And so it may be that that experience will prove useful in the current crisis. Obviously, healthcare is more of a focus now than it was in 2008. But it is the restrictions on physical meetings and travel that clearly distinguishes the pandemic from the 2008 difficulties. In consequence, substance has become a real focus. With travel being impossible, getting to board meetings is also impossible. And so guidance from government and from industry and tax authorities has been pragmatic and very much welcomed at this stage. There is also a question mark over how future deals might get done. Traditionally, physical meetings and physical due diligence has been a feature of getting, for example, private equity deals done. 
and it's uncertain how that can be continued in the current environment. However, discussions I have had with private equity managers would suggest that those managers and those investors are able to adapt to the current environment and that deals will continue to get done, although perhaps at a slower rate. I expect some of these issues will be discussed in more detail in the forthcoming webinar, and so I hope you enjoy. Good afternoon. My name is Craig Caudle, and I'm a partner in the investment funds and corporate team at Osia in Guernsey. I hope that you are well, and thank you for taking the time to join this online Guernsey Funds Forum webinar. I'm going to avoid speculating about what the markets are going to do, or speculating about the viability of launching funds over the short term. There are far more pieces to the jigsaw of launching a fund than just COVID-19. Fundamentally, the Guernsey system and its funds regime and the benefits of launching a fund here remain unchanged, notwithstanding the terrible human impact of the ongoing pandemic. I would also say that the reasons for the unfolding financial crisis are of course very different to the backdrop of the last financial crisis. It follows of course that the recovery may be very different too. Now, it's no surprise that I would say this as a funds lawyer, but perhaps the stability that some funds offer to ride out the impending difficult markets may be part of that recovery. As you would expect, we see huge promise for private equity and debt fund offerings in the healthcare, technology and the green, clean sectors. But I'm not sure there is sufficient capacity within existing funds to cope with demand. And so perhaps this is an area where we will see the most action for new managers and launchers. We also see opportunities for fund restructurings too. Whilst it's natural given the pandemic to be focused on issues at home, OSIA continues to be focused on the benefits of working cross-jurisdictionally to reach the optimum results for our clients. Now, I thought that I would take this opportunity to build on a green and clean theme, but perhaps from a slightly different perspective. This is not from the, the perspective of establishing funds which are green, although I'm sure you know that Guernsey has an excellent, first of its kind, green fund regime, but to think more about how we, as advisors to funds and asset management businesses, are working to be environmentally sustainable. The climate crisis and environmental sustainability are likely unseen victims of COVID-19 at the moment. But what are we doing as advisors to vehicles subject to increasing measures, reporting and accountability on environmental sustainability to ensure that we're playing our part too? These issues are important and will arise more frequently throughout the full life cycle of private equity funds and other vehicles. For some of you listening, I know that this will already be high on your agendas and you may already have implemented many sustainability measures within your businesses. For those of you that haven't, at a basic level, I'm thinking about how do we travel smarter to reduce our carbon footprint? And if we cannot totally reduce our carbon footprint, how do we mitigate any negative impact? I'm thinking about whether our IT systems are optimised for environmental sustainability. How do we source our energy? And how are we integrating technology into less obvious parts of our business to result in more sustainable outcomes? At a broader level, I'm talking about how and if we can collaborate with our own supply chains to encourage sustainable practices. How are we working to implement cultural change which permeates our organisations and influence decisions which we all make in and out of the workplace? And how are we holding ourselves accountable? One of the outcomes from this pandemic will be for funds and managers to look carefully at their governance procedures and any issues which presented themselves over the past few months. I wonder if part of that governance review should also include taking the opportunity to look at issues around sustainability too. For example, looking at the wider indirect environmental impact of private equity vehicles from cradle to grave. Now I'm not just suggesting this as, some, as something to do, but instead as a recognition that these aren't only issues for funds and managers with green strategies, but for the wider funds industry too. It's clear to me that issues around sustainability are present in all parts of our businesses and are here to stay. All food for thought, I hope, and to my mind, certainly the right thing to be doing. Thank you again for your time today. I hope you enjoyed the webinar to follow, and please feel free to get in touch to talk about any of the issues which I've raised today and more. Take care and see you soon, hopefully in person. And welcome back to, uh, to our virtual Funds Forum webinar, which is a fireside chat with my two guests today, uh, Andreas Toucher and John Moulton. Uh, pleasure to see you both, uh, gentlemen. I wonder if you could just uh, give me an idea of, of what you've been up to over the last few weeks. Um, uh, John? Well, all, all the usual stuff, but of course done differently. No meetings, lots of videos. Uh, I normally did 15 hours a week of video, now it's more like 50. 
Uh, it's good. It works mostly. Um, I've been dealing with companies that are in trouble, trying to get them sorted out is the biggest priority and the hardest thing I've been dealing with. Um, I've been enjoying, um, which is an odd word to use, but it's the right one, getting stuck into funding some virus-related clinical research. Um, everything see, otherwise is running very much orderly. Even places like FinCap, Big Stop Broker, we have nobody in the office, and yet things carry on very well. We're learning some lessons for the future, I'm sure. But I'm doing a very diverse load of things. That's amazing, isn't it? But we're all seeing uh, very similar uh, things happening. Uh, Andreas, you've been involved in financial services in Guernsey for nearly 30 years now. Uh, what, what are you doing today? So uh, I've been also, like John, busy, uh, a lot more video work. Um, but I think the, the interesting thing is that um, some of what I've been doing is obviously speaking with existing clients, making sure they're happy to know we're the, the us and also the, the island is business as usual, open for business. But also um, the, the timeline in terms of this is the year end, December year ends, March, April. There's a lot of stuff going on around accounts and valuations. And I guess the, the other uh, thing that's been interesting is the, the number of new inquiries been dealing with as well, uh, including new funds or fund managers to the islands. So I think that's a very positive thing to note as well. Good. Uh, let's talk about um, business generalities at the moment. So what, what are you seeing, and Andreas, across, across the piece? So are we talking uh, profits or people? And what's the, what's the priority at the moment? So I think um, as we went into lockdown, the first two to three weeks was the priority was people. Um, we needed to make sure that we had the uh, our people in the right place, that they were felt supported, that they that we took on took into account the d the difference of working from home to working with your colleagues right next to you, and there are some quite big uh, differences on that. But I think as that has evolved, um, we're starting to think more, you know medium term strategically what's going to happen with some of those businesses are they long term viable will they need to change their approach so i think there is, there is more of that swing the problem we have is we still really don't know what the roadmap to exit the current situation looks like and and i think you know um that we have to remain flexible and, and continue to sort of support our staff in the meantime mm. do you think I mean, in terms of finances for businesses are we still in, in very much in survival mode I, it depends which which industry you're in, and um, clearly our financial service industry, in terms of the main core part of it, is the administration services. That's a very much an annuity income business. Uh, from that perspective, not much has really changed. Maybe a little bit of reduction in fees because of valuations, but largely speaking, the book of business you had six weeks ago, you still have now. I think what's probably the real impact is. The, the local retail um, hospitality industry type businesses, and then those portfolio companies that are that are exposed to that. So I think that's that's really where the the challenge lies. Uh, and John, you, you've specialised over the years in in challenges in turnaround businesses. Uh, this environment must be you know a, a turnaround business times ten times a hundred. It is. In very many cases, there's a difference between turnaround and just simply running out of cash or not having a market. So some of the companies I'm involved with are on Guernsey, the, the pub group Randall's is something I own the majority of. We don't have any revenues, really. Um, everything's closed completely down. That's, that's a company that was doing really quite well and could last quite a long time. It's quite robust. But the problems it has are not anything that you'd really describe as turnaround. They're acute liquidity problems. Unlike 2008, it's not the financial sector that's taking the belt. It's consumer-facing businesses mostly. Aviation industry, very bad. Anything feeding into that's very bad. We're quite blessed with the, having such a strong financial services industry. So if possible that our economy will go down 3 4%, the mainland's going to be down 15 20 That's an enormous difference. So we're quite blessed in a way. But it's still not going to be easy. How would you describe the disruption in comparison with some of the other disruptions you've seen over your career? Well, it's very different. The absence of uh, a banking crisis is the most obvious thing. Nearly all other crises have had banking crisis at the middle. Here we have this bizarre world where the government issues in the UK issues guilts and the Bank of England buys them and everybody's happy. 
You don't need to be a genius, however, to recognize that this relies on confidence, because it is fundamentally a confidence trick. So I worry quite a lot about what's going to happen to the monetary system in the medium term. It's not this month, it's not next. But at some stage, you'd rationally expect the pound sterling to subside. You'd rationally expect inflation to kick in. We're moving into completely uncharted territory with these monstrous amounts of government borrowing all over the globe. Don't know how it plays out, but it'll certainly give rise to both opportunity and disaster. Uh, does it, going back to what you're saying about some of the companies you're involved with, do you really fear that some of your portfolio businesses won't be able to restart in this environment? I'm not merely fearing it, I know it. I'm in, in the last rights for a couple at the moment. Um, it's very difficult. Um, some of the companies uh, have had such a huge loss round on them. Uh, one of them is operating at 45% of the sales of last year. It can't cut its costs rapidly enough. Losses are very large as its costs go hurtling to the bottom line. Nobody wants to fund them. Their asset base is deteriorating. That company will probably survive in a small scale after a bankruptcy. It's, it's happening very rapidly. There's going to be a lot more going to come uh, over the months ahead as companies' reserves run out, banking capability declines, furloughing schemes are withdrawn. I mean, we are going to see the highest crop of dead businesses that we've seen for the last 30 years. Yeah, I agree with John. Um, and it's actually nice in a way as a former banker not to be immediately blamed for the current financial crisis. But I do think that um, what we're going to see is uh, a storing up of problems. And one of them is clearly going to be government debt. Uh, I mean, if you look at the projections, Britain will be well north of 100 GDP debt ratio, probably 150, maybe 175 percent. Most of Europe will be heading into the same territory, although Italy is already there. Um, so we're, we're going to see governments that are going to be effectively strapped for cash for a long period of time. And they're either going to have to raise taxes or they're going to um, and they're going to have to reduce the expenditure. There's no other uh, mechanism. For the banks, the interesting thing will be initially it will be, well, we've got reserves, we've got firepower to go out and lend. But at the end of the day, one of the, the big criticisms in the last um, crisis was the fact that banks lent unwisely to people who couldn't necessarily repay. Um, it's going to be interesting to see in 24, 36 months time when those same organisations come back and say, well, I need another round of financing to keep my business going. You know, will the banks still be able to do that, particularly under the the the, the, the current capital requirements? So I think the, the there there is a there is a kind of brewing debt crisis around probably the retail hospitality sector and the the ability for them to borrow, but that's probably a little bit further down the line than than in the next twelve months. There is, in fairness, one other way for the government to get out of out of the debt, and that's inflation. Uh, we haven't had it for a very long time. Uh, I would be surprised if it isn't there in the next few years. Andreas, on some of the boards that you're sitting on, you're, you're reaching year-end position. What's the challenges that you're seeing with uh, valuations? Yeah, it, it, it is a, it is a, a huge challenge. Um, and my um, group of boards that I sit on includes um, aircraft finance leasing companies, um, as well as financial services groups providing advisory services to, you know, to funds and, and other professionals. And, and it's quite interesting to look at which industries are hit the hardest, and those possibly are two of the industries that hit hardest. So I think the valuation thing is, is very, very tough. And, the, and to be an auditor right now and to make those calls as to whether you think a company can still trade in 12 months' time or not is a really big call. And I, I, you know, I do feel sorry for for the audit industry at the moment it's a, it's a tough time so i think most of it is around the year end valuations and whether your partners or whoever you're relying on whether that's the person leasing your aircraft or the clients you're advising that they will still be around in 12 months time and still want your services so that's that's the challenge are we seeing uh, and this to both of you are we seeing um a lot of investments being made at, at this point in time? or And what's the issues for managers in terms of disposals from the portfolios? Is, will that be happening anytime soon? Well, I can pick up from that from my experience at FinCap, where we have 
a big sell-side advisory business as well as a stockbroking activity. We're seeing a, a slowdown in sell-side very definitely. People don't want to sell in a world where they perceive the values have just gone down and nobody believes they'll stay there. It takes quite a while for people to adjust to a new change of level. So the number of deals that's going to happen definitely will decline. No question about that. There's business out there for the investment bankers in doing financings, uh, but there'll be less sell-side activity and probably less IPO, though with exceptions. Uh, life science companies, for example, are doing wonderfully at the moment. Markets love them. Suddenly they're seen as a saviour in every way. Um, but uh, yeah, generally deal-led activity will decline. There's a, differently again than previous times. There's an immense wall of money in the private funds, uh, and they will undoubtedly switch on earlier than in previous times. There's a massive venture capital, a lot of big buyer capital available. Uh, those will drive deals, I would suspect, quite quickly. So I'd expect the deal, the reduction in deal activity, to be quite short-lived. It, it's interesting, also, when and and if you think about not just the private market, which. Um, John is talking about, but if you also look across to listed securities and um, the view that some people would have at the moment that there's been a significant uh, sell down and we're at rock bottom valuations. Actually, we're back to about 2014, 15 valuations. So if you go back to previous crisis, that's not really a big setback. And, and actually there was quite a significant rebound in the last three or four weeks. So, and, and I also um, work with investment groups um, who, who do portfolio management, portfolio construction. And what's been interesting is that the amount of actually re-stacking their, their portfolios or re-positioning has been relatively limited. If you look at the volumes of trading, it's been relatively small. And I think the point, and John's made it on the, on the private investment side, I think it's the same is true in the listed. You just don't know at the moment, you know, would you try and call the winners and losers right now? I'm not sure this is the time to do that. Certainly, there will be some winners, life sciences, there will be fulfillment companies, the Ocados, people like that. But is this definitely the end of global travel? Is this definitely the, the end of high, high street retail? It might be, but I think it's a little bit too early to call that yet. That's what makes the valuation so damn difficult, doesn't it? Hmm. Uh, exactly. Working out what the demand's going to be for your least 747 in two years' time is a yes. No, no, no amount of wit or drifting uh, or dressing it up can conceal that. There's going to be monumental uh, uncertainty and reported asset values uh, in a lot of funds. I saw some research over the weekend that said there was, you know, in private funds, $1.5 trillion of dry powder uh, still waiting to be put to use. Would you feel confident, John, about making uh, acquisitions and investments using that dry powder at this time? Well, it depends on the sector. I mean, in some areas, it, you might as well throw, throw a coin as do any amount of analysis. Others, though, you can see a way forward. There are some interesting business ideas. There are some opportunities driven by short-term liquidity and good businesses. And you always have the accidental casualty. The entrepreneur who's given a personal guarantee on one business, owns another one, needs money in a rush. There's a deal to be done. So it, it's, it's never completely bleak. There's always some opportunity around. For those who are fleet of foot and have the cash, uh, they can take advantage of those opportunities. Andreas, a number of funds have suspended payment of dividends uh, in over this uh, period of crisis. What's the issues there for investors looking for income? Yeah, that, that I think has been quite an interesting development because not all of it has been necessarily driven by the underlying business environment of those particular businesses. And um, and I mean, broadly speaking, you're talking about a lot of the, the main FTSE 250 entities, but also you're talking about property REITs, things like that. So, and I think it falls into two different camps. So I think on on the property side, Clearly, um, there is uh, a lot of uh, lease extension, rental deferrals going on, a lot of negotiations going on around that. So I think that um, that is understandable and that's probably the right thing to do. And I think that's probably a little bit different to what we saw again, 2008, where people tended to wait till almost those um, the situations where 
at the edge of the cliff before making decisions. So I think one thing that the industry has learned is get in there early, make sure that you help your your tenant survive so you keep your, your lease income going. I think the other side of it has been the pressure coming from government and regulators for uh, groups such as banks and, and other groups to hold on to their firepower. You don't distribute reserves, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's fine, but the problem is that the biggest, one of the biggest investors in, in all markets is pension funds, and pension funds need income. So the problem that they're going to have is where do they go to? They can't buy, prop if they have property units, they have suspended dividends. They buy government debt, they're getting absolutely nothing for it. And even the general market now is, is seeing a significant downturn in yield uh, on dividends. So I think that that's a big problem. Um, and the only option they will have eventually is to sell down assets. Or borrow, <laughs> which you can do too, because borrowing costs next to nothing and it's almost irresistible to some institutions, some companies and, some, and many governments. I suppose the, the only issue with that, John, is that a lot of the industry, that, such as pension, as you know, is now quite highly regulated and, and it's an issue for them to, to, to go out and do that. But this is almost a, a scenario that you, you know, you couldn't make up that there's no yield on guilt. There's no yield from holding now even equities and um, and even property funds are, are yielding virtually zero. So it, it does become a real problem for, you know, and having been a pension trustee in the past, how do you manage that? What do you do? And, you know, borrowing is definitely an option if you can do it. But I think it it, it will become a big problem. Well, no question until we see the financial world recover a lot. Dividends are going to be down and all those problems you've talked about are going to be there. Let's move on to fund formations uh, and fundraising. Uh, so at the moment, we're seeing that fundraising is slowing in all markets. And I think we probably expect first time fundraising to, uh, to, to decline. Does, uh, that would seem to uh, imply that we'd see no new funds for a while. But Andreas, you said you, you're now seeing interest in new funds. Is that surprising to you? No, I think um, the so the, the, they're very specific funds. They're looking in, in 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 specific sectors, and they've been planning for some time to to um, start their funds up, and they're in in the um, initial investing um, cycle. So those those had already gone through a period of you know, evaluation, et cetera. Um, so the, I think what we, we have got to be careful about, and there is a tendency, and, 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 and that's partly driven by the fact that 100% of the media thrown at you is always, you know, COVID-19, it's terrible, everything's down. Not every market is in total freefall. I think what was quite interesting in the last 24 hours to see that the um, China export market is up um, by seven or eight percent against market expectations, and uh, having I had a call with a former colleague um, last week based in Singapore, and you know, Asia has recovered or dealt with this better because of their experience with SARS and MERS, and and I think it's it's very easy to just have your sort of um, uh, view that it, you just look at what's happening around you. This is a global investment world. I, I think things will come back much more quickly. So there are people who will just see this as an inevitable is, is, issue. You know, this was going to happen. Everyone had been talking about hitting a bear market at some point anyway. It's just a surprise what the, uh, the trigger event is. So there are always people who are waiting for something like this to go into a market and try and find some value. So I think let's let's be positive as well as recognising the, the difficult situation we're in. It's actually arguable that we really aren't in a bear market now. It's bouncing around so damn much, it's not clear that it is one. Do you think that if you, you know, funds that were being thought about but were still to launch, do you think they'll be getting off the ground anytime soon? Yeah. I mean, the volumes of funds that are going through the exchange were very strong in the first quarter. And not bad, actually, in April. Um, so people are still launching. Um, 2008 is anything of a sort of proxy for the situation we're in. All that happened was that fund volumes stayed about the same, but they took about 10 months longer to close than they had before. There was less rush from the institutions to pile in, and that will undoubtedly occur here. But people who have been planning for years to launch funds will mostly try. Some will fail, but most will succeed. 
I, I agree. And if you look back actually to that period after 2008, and particularly in the listed funds, Jersey and Guernsey domiciled listed funds, the greatest period of issuance in the last 10, 12 years was 9, 10, 11. So you saw, if you look, and John will know this from the uh, uh, stock exchange figures, that was the most productive um, period in the last uh, 10, 12 years. So I think we sh we will see, there will inevitably be a slowdown. And that's partly because th things are just taking that much longer and decisions will take that much longer. But I think once we get back into it again, I think there there will be um, more funds coming through, more first-time managers, more interest in, in our, what we offer here in Guernsey. And the world continues to move from the public to the private, and the growth and number and size of private funds seems to be a complete juggernaut at the moment. It ain't stopping. So, so on that basis, so we're expecting to see perhaps good news for private funds, but also listed funds you don't see by the reviewers being uh, particularly damaged uh, stock at the moment. So on. Um, those with large exposures to um, particular sectors have done very poorly in some cases. Typically, people investing in micro-cap stocks have had a hard time. There are areas which have suffered in the listed area, um, but there are others that really haven't. There have even been good positive performance on many of them. But I think it's just the general trend we've had for a very long time here. The number of quoted companies slowly declining. Uh, the private sector of the economy continuously growing. That's carried on. Um, for the viewpoint of the island, it's not such bad news. Private funds, public funds, much the same in terms of financial service work. Yeah, I agree. And and I think, I mean, the difference is obviously the the, the, the investor type of investor and the, the, the time period in which they look at their investment. I think that that has been the issue with listed in the past is that people are just tracking it day by day against indices at least with the private funds you've got a long-term cycle view so i think it's positive we we have that mix of business but also that probably majority by far is private funds i think that those are investors who are generally pretty savvy and are in it for the long term so we won't see that sort of cut and run type situation so private equity actually is in a reasonable position to try to weather this COVID-19 storm. Yeah, it's liquid. Um, it doesn't have to worry quite as much about market to market as others do. Uh, if 2008 is to go by, it will be, shall we say, slow uh, to recognise the drop in values that might be present. Um, that's going to be accentuated this time round by private equities use of very complex equity structures with preferences, multiple preferences, convertibles, uh, which will give plenty of reasons for not taking a markdown. Even the government's future fund in the UK seems designed pretty well solidly uh, to avoid the private equity venture capital people from having to recognise down, down marks, uh, which is you know, perhaps a tribute to the strength of their lobbying. Uh, but there's no particular reason for that fund to be in convertible debt if it's supposed to be helping the long-term growth of the economy. Andreas, do you have a view? Yeah, I, I think, it. again, we just need to be wary of sectors that these groups are invested in. I think if you have a group that's primarily exposed to retail or um, hospitality, I think things will be difficult. Um, Again, I, uh, yeah, I'm not as pessimistic as some of the uh, market commentators are out there about, you know, it's the end of high street retail. Uh, everything has changed. I think there will, things will come back. So I think you need to, to look again at where, where the, the focus and the exposure is. But like John, I, I think that it, it's a, it's a long-term success story. If I was to allocate my own money, I would go PE rather than go into the markets because the markets have so many more variables and things you can't really control. Um, so I think that, that it makes a lot of sense. John, I think you, you said earlier that you were looking at certain investment uh, propositions in the um, medicine research uh, market. What kind of thing is, is available? And do you see that that sector is really set for a um, medium or long-term boom? I think it should be set for. One of the things that we've talked about a lot um, in the quoted and private markets is dealing with the risk. Basically, nobody had risk on their list of bid risks for that. Nobody had the virus 
on their list of risks. And at a national level, we, uh, the UK lettuce reserves uh, PP evaporate, uh, age and rot on the shelves. Not enough money was being put into it. So there will be, a, I think, a very substantial amount of money put into research, into the technology, vaccine, um, vaccine production, things like that. So there'll be some very clear areas. They're not huge. And the scale of what we're doing here, a few billion chucked in that direction would actually do a great deal. Uh, and that's a small number in today's markets. So I'm sure there will be opportunities there. And they'll be all the way over therapeutics, vaccines, diagnostics, um, care, care devices, medical instruments. They're all areas that will benefit to some extent. One of the other things I do is chair uh, Antimicrobial Research Limited, uh, which works with um, bacteria that are multiple drug resistant. We've suddenly seen the governments deciding it's about time to spend some money in our area, for which many thanks. Uh, and Andreas, do you have any uh, views on what might be the, the best investment areas as far as you can see? Yeah, I, I think aside from the research area into vaccines and things like that, I think what, what's quite striking, um, and again, sort of reflecting a little bit into sort of the local um, environment in Guernsey, is that we have an industry in financial services which has dealt with the current situation extremely well in the sense that staff were looked after, clients have been looked after. You know, most of my experience with uh, a, a large number of the different administrators and other financial groups here is it's been seamless. You know, people have just gone on and done their job. If you contrast that with the smaller retail and hospitality sector, aside from the fact that if your customer can't come to your hotel, you've got a problem anyway. I do wonder if there is more uh, investment opportunity in small scale sort of um, fulfillment delivery allowing smaller businesses to sort of take part in the online economy. Because I think that's one of the things that's stark, uh, been a stark thing to me, is that I can't buy anything locally, but I can still order anything I want off of Amazon and it still arrives within two to five days. And surely we must be able to do something better for the local retailers to allow them to cope with situations. Because if we do run into a period of, you know, lockdown and then release lockdown, those kind of businesses have really aren't going to survive. And I, I've already seen a couple of groups who've started to develop their own online um, develop, delivery or, or, or um, fulfillment process. But surely there must be some small scale, um, you know, more broader based capability that someone could build. So that, that would be quite interesting. And I think it also it adds not just in terms of an investment opportunity, but socially, economically, it also would mean that you could still have a vibrant local retail and, and other industries. Talking really about an opportunity that emerges from current behaviours that we're having to uh, use in, in this environment. Exactly. So, um, you know, take what has been a huge impact and say, how could we have done something better? And, you know, obviously my background is financial services. The reason why we are quite good at these kind of things is we've been through lots of uh, problems. And, and, you know, if you take... Uh, SARS and MERS, uh, when I was at Deutsche, we we had to do the things like split the office. We had to do all of these kind of things to be able to cope with those impacts. So we've done it through learning. A lot of local smaller businesses haven't had those kind of impacts to deal with. So it's not a criticism. It's just, you know, what would you plan for? And it really it goes back to, to what John said, that this wouldn't have been a risk most people would have put at a board level or a bus local business level and say, what happens when we can't actually move? Uh, so now maybe people will think about this. And this could be an opportunity for groups, you know, including groups like John's to look at opportunities. How do you support local businesses in, in a sort of lockdown or, um, you know, curtailment type uh, period that we're in now? Yeah, we, we, we... We've had to face up to that in Randalls, where we're doing some home delivery, but it's not very much revenue, and we're trying to grow that as quickly as we can. It's running at uh, several, several hundred percent of six months ago. Mercifully, people still like to get the old bottle of wine delivered to them, and we're happy to oblige. 
let's continue the conversation on from, from a Guernsey uh, focus. Um, Andreas, you're now involved with the independent director of business, Altair. Uh, so obviously you have a good um, touch, number of touchstones in, in the island about what's, uh, what's going on. Um, where do, you, do you think Guernsey Financial Services has, industry has ridden out this storm so far uh, in, in good shape? Yes, uh, I think the, I, I, I knew we would because as I said, my experience is that financial services industries are always very well prepared. It's a regulatory requirement, but I think it's also um, the experience that, that we've shared over 20, 30 years. The, the, the response has been, you know, superb. There, there has been no downtime. There has been no failure. There have been no gaps that I've seen of any significance. Um, everyone has gone on and done their job. Um, there are still a lot of challenges, and you're clearly never as productive when you work in the current environment to 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 working in an office. But the the delivery has been great, and what I think is very important to to say is that many of the investment managers and um, promoters that we talk to in in the UK and elsewhere have been also very very impressed at how well uh, we've dealt with things. I think also, you know, we're, we're lucky, again, going back to the point about the private fund business, private funds in this situation are much easier to manage and to deal with. I think if we were in a kind of USITS type environment that you see in, say, Dublin or Luxembourg, we would be having a lot, lot more work to do because of all of the issues around gating and closing off funds. So again, we, we've been well positioned in terms of our client base and we've been well positioned in terms of our preparation. I'll echo that. I mean, it's just been remarkable how um, both as a consumer of these services um, and, and as a generator of business, everything's worked really well. And it makes you wonder why we bother having these damn great big offices. Uh, and I'm sure that thought has crossed a lot of people's minds. I do expect there to be a surplus of office property in Guernsey over the next few years as people realize they don't need it. Um, there's only really one thing where I found this difficult, which is interviewing people for, new, for, for to fill new posts. I mean, you know, you really do, uh, doing that by video still doesn't seem quite right. It would be nice to meet them. Perhaps we want to make sure that they don't smell or have noxious habits you can't detect on the screen. Um, We'll see how it comes out. But that's the one thing that I found is a problem, and it's a genuine problem. So on that basis, John, do you think it's important actually that we don't talk ourselves into a decline? There's definitely, you know, as Andreas was saying, the, the news agenda is, is very COVID-19 uh, rather negative. Is it important that we kind of look beyond that? Of course it is. But you know, the, the reasons to be negative are to be, uh, are to be worried about the disease. In, in the case of Guernsey, we're very fortunate. Financial service is a great place to be. We'll see a bit of a dent in our GDP, not a working great hole, which is going to be the case in other countries. So we should be really quite happy to be here. And if you have to be trapped anywhere, this island's pretty nice for that. Once they open the bars and restaurants, of course, but that's still to come. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the other important thing is that um, as we said, we don't talk ourselves into a decline, is that a large proportion of the populations, their incomes will not decline significantly in the next 12, 18 months. What we want to do is encourage those people to continue to spend their money. Um, so they go and buy beer from Randall's and they go to a restaurant, they go to um, the, the, the local retailers. I think that that is the one danger is that everyone suddenly decides, let's, you know, let's stop spending. And whilst you know people have got to spend within their means, if if we're not seeing a significant drop in salaries or large redundancies in financial services industry, I think we can be positive that that can also save some of the retail side as well. And and can I just make one other point? I think we also do need to sort of address the point that whilst we can work remotely, and John's quite right, some of those big offices now starting to look a little bit uh, um, uh, you know more than you really need. Um, there, I think it's the the impact of this is different for different age groups and what they want out of what they're in their working lives. I think for those of us who are a little bit older and probably a little bit more mature and quite like working from home, this isn't really a big problem. You know, it's something we can deal with. But we also need to think about the the people in their sort of their twenties and even early thirties, who for them a, lo a lot of 
their enjoyment is also around the social interaction that they have in an office. So I don't think the offices are dead yet. I think we, we can clearly see that more people will probably want to work from home. But let's not forget the, the social aspect and um, the importance of that as well. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, the younger, younger people in the financial services industry are complaining about lack of uh, ability to meet the opposite sex or the same sex in some cases being very up to date. Um, but the, the, it is a struggle. So the social interaction has declined a lot. It'll come back. But you don't have to do that in the office. I still think there will be a definite reduction in office usage. Um, it, it's, it's interesting to see we're not traveling to and fro on Arena, which is another problem coming around, around, down the road. Um, you may lose a bit of efficiency by going on the video, but you save all that time. So a total productivity has probably tended to rise for most people on the island. Uh, the senior levels, financial services, not spending a whole day to go for a two-hour meeting in London is a benefit. Uh, let's talk about uh, lockdown we're, we're, or, or recovery from lockdown. So we're asking the governments of Guernsey and the UK to lead us out of uh, out of lockdown. How important do you think the government role will be in leading us into economic recovery? I, I don't think they need to be greatly engaged. In, there's different situations between the UK and Guernsey. Guernsey is in a position where it uh, will possibly by the time this video is uh, transmitted, be of the situation where we have no known carriers of the virus. So we can completely release lockdown and be very free and open. That's great. The UK is not going to be in that position for a long time, I'm afraid. I've seen very serious progress in, on the pharmaceutical front. Um, so I, I, I think that the government in the UK will have a lot more to worry about in economic reconstruction than Guernsey. Here, if the, the, the government does very little, I think things will recover quite quickly. The financial services haven't been largely hit. The support companies will mostly respond quite quickly. It doesn't, not to say there shouldn't be a bit of help given out here, there and everywhere, but we don't need to start, you know, generating some monstrous public um, infrastructure spend or something to try and generate the economy. Uh, it just isn't needed and it won't be needed here. This economy will, will, will come back fairly quickly, I think. Whether it be V-shaped, I have no idea, and nor does anybody else. Yeah, I, I, I think that um there is very little that the government can do in any case. We already talked about what whether capital projects investing in infrastructure would really make an appreciable difference. Extending the runway, I'm, I think most people would say would be a little bit of a waste of money right now as there's two flights a day. So I think we, we what the government needs to do is find a way to open up the local environment as quickly as they can and obviously within... The, the medical advice and safety um, so that we can get that money transferring back into the non-financial service industry and we can see people in the building industry, in retail, et cetera, et cetera, starting to, to benefit. I think there are still areas like hospitality that will struggle uh, because we won't have the tourists. So th so there is clearly going to be one or two areas that, that, that need support. Um, I, th I think the, the what the government can do, though, is is support uh, groups like uh, We Are Guernsey and, and and the Funds Forum and people like that in continuing to support them on their promotion. So we make sure people know we're open for business, you know, and, and lobbying to make sure we still have those business acts, the access to the markets and to uh, London and and the important places that we need access. That that hasn't stopped just because of COVID-19, that's probably even more important than it, than it ever was. It's very interesting to see that going to an isolated island, which is where we'll be for at least some months forward, is quite odd because we may lose the tourists, but then actually, typically, our, our, certainly our wealthier members of the population have a nasty habit of going overseas during the summer. So they'll be stuck here spending... It may, it may actually offset the tourists, the lack of tourists. The hotels won't benefit, but the, everything else will. Finally, from a Guernsey Funds perspective, do you feel that, you know, that Guernsey still has uh, much to offer for all sectors of the investment market? 
It does. And one of the things it does need to do if it wants to prosper mightily coming out of this is to make sure that it maintains a really good, sensible regulatory environment. That's cover, cover off the serious risks. Don't cover off the minor or non-existent risks. Keep your bureaucracy down. These are things that we really can make a difference to. If we make it easier for people to do business in Guernsey without making it crooked or dangerous, that would be a really good target to aim at. Not just let's regulate risk out of the economy. That would be bad for the economy. Andreas? Yeah, uh, look, again, we said it several times, the, the way we've reacted to this crisis, the fact that we're so resilient that we can deliver irrespective of the complete lockdown of a local, from a local point of view and from a global point of view. Um, I think if I, were, if I was looking for a jurisdiction, I wanted to, to, to invest. I wanted to be certain that I could still talk to my manager, my administrator, uh, my board members, and, and everything would be run extremely efficiently. You would go to Guernsey. There, there, there's a lot of centres that I think have struggled through this, and partly because they've relied, um, so, you know, not wanting to um, uh, talk ill of our competitors. But if you take somewhere like Luxembourg, which is a location I know quite well, I used to have a business there as well many years ago, that, that there they have really struggled. Um, 70, 80% of their staff live in two other countries, which are in total lockdown, e.g. Um, France and Germany. So, you know, at least here, um, we have people that are all within 20 minute cycle ride of each other if you had to uh, find a way to see each other. So our size can be an advantage sometimes. And, and the fact that actually we are relying on, on a, a workforce which is extremely um, you know, well-trained, but also very knowledgeable. And we've even managed our global supply chain. So a lot of our businesses, particularly administration businesses, rely on outside uh, sourcing. Again, and I hear what John says about the, the regulatory side, but the regulators have been pushing people to think about how they manage their insourcing or outsourcing, how they manage those chains of support. And I think that comes through when you have a crisis like this, that, that there is no interruption. You know what's going on. You can manage that. So, you know, as a success story, if you can pull something out of a, 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 um, a trial or a difficult situation like that, the triumph is that we actually have continued to deliver what we want to do. And if we believe, which I think we, we all do, that, that the world of investment is here to stay and that, that people, there is a lot of money that wants to go invest and a lot of that's going to be private investment, then we are clearly in the right place. We are genuinely really well placed and doing well. Um, Guernsey's got opportunity here to actually advance. Let's hope it's all taken. Gentlemen, thank you very much for uh, your thoughts today. It's been a pleasure speaking to you uh, this afternoon and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you in the flesh uh, in, uh, in sometime soon. Uh, so uh, John Moulton, Andreas Tauchat, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Guernsey as a jurisdiction of expertise and economic substance in funds remains a leading choice for those in the investment world. And I'm sure that we will continue to have a significant part to play as our industry comes out of COVID-19. Before we end today, I should say several words of thanks. First of all, a big thank you to our two panellists, John Moulton and Andreas Toucher, for joining me today and for sharing their thoughts. Clearly, they think Guernsey is in a good place at this time. Now, these are difficult times for many in business, but I do hope that you will feel that our panellists today have given us some reason to be cheerful. Thank you too to our main sponsors, Kerry Olsen and Osier, who you heard from earlier today, and indeed to all our sponsors and partners who you will see listed on the event homepage. I would especially like to mention the BVCA and Asset Servicing Times for their support. And lastly, but crucially, thank you for joining us today. For more information about all aspects of financial services in Guernsey, you'll find all you need to know on our website, weareguernsey.com. And finally, once again, thanks for joining us. Please stay safe and we look forward to catching up with you again soon. But for now, it's bye from Guernsey. <laughs>